I just want to introduce myself for uh, a, a moment here. Uh, my name is Sean O'Rourke. Um, I'm our uh, associate senior executive, just all the pastor stuff in there, right? Um, and, and it's just been a real privilege to be part of this community for a long time now. I remember the first time I came here for this church, I actually came to that Graham Cook conference a long, long time ago that some of you guys might remember. Um, and, then, and then I started coming around. I, I came around in 2010. Uh, and I was part of another another church. I came around uh, Zion to go to a conference. How many of you come here for a conference or a speaker? Maybe that was like a foot in the door for you. And I came, and I, to be honest, I don't even remember who the speaker was. Jim could probably tell me if I gave him the dates. Uh, but it was back in 2010, and and I went home, and uh, it was really it was amazing conference. I, I remember just really having some really great times of worship. And then I kind of was you know back home and. Uh, back to kind of my normal swing of life. And uh, God began to give me some dreams and began to really kind of speak and, 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 and speak into my circumstances. And one of the ways that God speaks to me when it comes to big life decisions is he'll often give me dreams. How many of you get dreams from the Lord? How many of you want more dreams from the Lord? Yes. And uh, it was awesome because God started to really speak to me really clearly in dreams. How many of you found that dreams sometimes can um, have a way of speaking clearly to you without you having to interpret it. Does that make sense? Like meaning like sometimes you wake up from a dream and you know what happened, like you know what God was trying to tell you, but in the natural, it'd be really hard to get that prophetic download. Does that make sense? But a dream sometimes can, can really paint a picture really clearly, really quickly. And so uh, I had the, a couple dreams when God started to tell me that a change was coming and started to really position me to actually come and be part of this church. So the long, the, the, the long story of it is uh, I'm here now. Uh, the short version is uh, it's amazing what happens when God can interrupt our, our plan. When, when God can interrupt our plan, amazing things can happen. And it doesn't mean that every plan has to be interrupted by God. Sometimes God can put something in motion, and you just, you're faithful to run that thing through. But there's other times that we're headed this way, and God has a little one-degree kind of, kind of change for us to go down. And there, there's a response that we have as followers of Jesus or as those that are exploring faith to actually pull that thread, to take that insight, to take what you're feeling, what you're sensing, and actually step forward in it. So um, a couple of you guys might know this. Um, I'm married to my wife, Rachel. Hello, check, check. No mic today? Hello? Can you guys hear me? The board's resetting. Okay, so uh, what's your favorite color? Tell your neighbor. Can you guys hear? Oh, is this coming through now? A little bit? All right. Should I, should I use this one? The handheld? No, hold on. Okay. Say hello. Can you guys hear me? You guys can hear me? No? Oh, so you guys can hear me, but you guys can't hear me. Oh, 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 oh. Hello, hello. Can you guys give it up for Roger in the back? He's got to work through those things, man. So some of you guys might know this, but we actually are having a major uh, AV upgrade. Believe it or not, this is actually an upgrade, believe it or not. Um, and we're putting a ton of resources actually into our sound here. And so we just got this week a new soundboard installed. 
So just lots of grace for those guys back there. They're working really hard, and uh, the, the, the end-all experience when it's all said and done is definitely going to be something that, that's an upgrade that's awesome for online viewers and for, for being in, in person too. So uh, if I go out again, just give me a shout because sometimes I can't tell, and I'll grab that one. All right, you guys good? So Rachel, let's get back to Rachel. So, so my wife Rachel and I, uh, we love to travel. And how many of you found that sometimes traveling just gets you out of kind of your ordinary, and you can maybe just hear God fresh. Sometimes getting out, get, traveling, just getting out of our day-to-day enables us to sort of have perspective, like little problems that became big problems. When you, when you get out of your day-to-day, you see it differently, and you're like, oh, that is a little problem. You know, things get put in their place sometimes, and we can exit uh, some of our day today, and so Rachel and I love to travel. And so um, some of you may have known this. We 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 recently went to Costa Rica for vacation. It was awesome. Highly recommend. And we're kind of nerdy, and uh, so we wind up doing like hikes and waterfalls, and uh, and we also went to uh, well, we went we we went to a sloth area. Okay, so so that was new to me that sloths are a thing. I had no idea. And that, that a lot of people, how many of you like sloths? Okay, see, look at the room. Like, I would, have, I would never guess that, ever. And so we went to Costa Rica, and I had no idea, but Costa Rica is actually known for sloths. So uh, we did some really cool stuff. We actually got to, she got to hold a sloth, a baby sloth for a while. And, and then uh, we also went to a coffee farm. And so how many of you are coffee drinkers? Okay, come on, praise the Lord, you're my people. So, so we love coffee, and we love trying new coffees, and we actually went to this coffee farm that was really neat. I think we have a picture of it. Uh, at this coffee farm, somebody actually walked us through some of the process of like how coffee uh, is harvested, how it how it's, uh, goes from kind of the different stages. So on the far left here is a flower stage, and then there's going to be this green cherry stage, and then when it, the green cherry turns red, that means it's ripe. And that means it's ready for harvest. You can, you can pick it off of the, the tree. The trees are about, you know, three or four foot tall. Uh, and then it goes through a couple more processes of getting deshelled. We actually found out that what they do in Costa Rica is they actually bury, they bury that, that ripe red bean. So right away, they bury it in the ground so that it ferments. So there's this other process that takes place. And then after it comes up, it's deshelled. Then it has to dry. And then the, when it's dry is that smallest bean, now it's ready for being roasted. And after it's roasted is when the glory comes. That's when you can drink it. It's when a little water just turns it into something different. And, and you know, when we were down there, we were just really so, so amazed by some of the processes that kind of God put in place for us. And it really reminded us sometimes, you know, we're on a process of change. Did you know that? Like you're in a process of, of transformation. And sometimes we kind of go through our processes and God might have, you know, a new de-shedding of something that you thought you were cool. Did you know that? Like, like you might go through something and God actually has something more for you. So now a new stage of that process might begin. So I want to talk to you guys today about what it looks like for us to live naturally supernatural, and but still live set apart, to still live in a way that we can actually be available to God for course corrections, for encouragement. We're actually available to the Lord for what he wants to do in our life. So why don't you guys open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. I think we're going to have it overhead too. 
So a little context here. Um, Joshua is one of my favorite one of my favorite books. And Joshua was the heir apparent to lead Israel after Moses. So Moses led Israel. Some of you are very familiar with the story of Moses, signs and wonders out of Israel through the desert. Uh, And and Moses was the one that that set up the law with the Lord, uh, the tablets. And Moses had a very unique friendship relationship with God in the Bible. Moses was a leader's leader. Do you know Moses had the gift of administration? Who here, who here, let me just say this. Moses had the gift of administration because he got a million people to do the same thing the same way at the same time. So, so I just want to say that if you feel like I don't have the gift of administration, we, we group the, that gift of administration with like clerical work. It has nothing to do with clerical work. Aren't you, aren't you happy? If you have, the, you have the gift of administration, if you have a call to lead, did you know that? There, there's some level of administration in you, but Moses had a very unique level of the gift of administration. Moses also had just a, a, a rich relationship with the Lord where he actually went up to the mountaintop. He was the one that saw the Lord face to face. The goodness of the Lord passed before him. His face actually glowed. He had to veil it so that people could be around him. Moses had a deep, and, and, and how do I say this? It's, it's an intimacy with the Lord that literally changed him season to season. That it says at the end of his days, Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. Now he wrote that, so it's very ironic. But we see this, we see this journey with Moses from, from, from being, being an orphan to being a leader to being a friend of God. And really every step of the way, we see a new process that God introduced in Moses' life. Well, then comes Joshua. So Joshua, he was actually the one that when Moses would go to the tent of meeting. So the encounters with the Lord were often held in the tent of meeting. So this is before Jesus. This is before the New Testament. Moses set up these tents, and, and they would literally be places that Moses would go into, and the glory of the Lord, it said, would come and fill, the, fill that tent. So much so that priests would bow down outside of it. The people of Israel would actually watch it from afar for the glory to come. They, they knew when the glory came that God was, God was going to talk to Moses about what to do next. And Joshua was sort of Moses' right-hand man. He was his assistant. He was the kind of heir apparent, the next kind of leader. And Joshua did something really unique. In that tent of meeting, Joshua, it says, would actually linger in that tent of meeting after Moses had left. Does that make sense? So, so when that glory would come, Joshua, after Moses left, would just stay a little longer. Joshua was a leader who was, a, who was accustomed to the presence of the Lord. Joshua was somebody that actually took the promises that Moses had and began to walk them into a new territory. So Joshua 3 is the, is the, the scene here. This is where Moses has just passed away, and Joshua has that mantle. And this is what he's telling all of Israel who have wandered in the desert for years and years and years, and they're about to cross in over the Jordan into the promised land. Are you guys with me? Joshua 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know, in our culture, that word consecration, if you have a religious background, it's like, oh, you better fast and pray. Uh, I don't know, wear a suit and tie every day. Uh, you, you know, consecration can have this, this association with like, oh, this is like going to be hard. Like, like what, do I, what does consecration look like now? You know, in the context of who Joshua was, 
Consecration was always about the presence. So here we are, a group of people, the, the nation of Israel that has the promises of the Lord, about to walk into literally their promised land. And there were people that were led by the presence, but they had still had a role to play, which is to consecrate themselves to the Lord. Because tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know, a consecrated life is a life that is constantly resetting and readjusting to God's presence. That's recentering on God's presence. It, it's not about fasting, although if that helps you recenter, do it. It's not about reading your Bible, but we love studying the scripture. All of it is actually consecration is when, how many of you have been in a situation where you feel like, man, it's been a while since I've connected with God intimately? You're just like, life took, you know, kids and job and work and stuff. And, and how many of you, uh, you know, get distracted sometimes? No? Okay. Just maybe one or two. So none of you guys have social media. That's awesome. <laughs> we get distracted. We get pulls from movies and media and interests become distractions. And what happens is we begin to drift from God's presence. How many of you know, if you drift too long from God's presence, you start believing lies about who God is? Did you know that? Like, you might have gone to church, you might be in an amazing church environment, but you drift from God's presence personally, you'll actually start entertaining lies about who he is. You know, there's this amazing uh, pastor, Gary Best, he wrote a book called Naturally Supernatural. And in the book, he actually walks through this time where uh, Pastor Gary was uh, an itinerant minister, and he was traveling and speaking, and he traveled so much one year that towards the end of the year, he told his wife, I'm done. I have served the Lord this year. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm not going to answer any phone calls till January. And, uh, you know, that's a bold statement to make because you know that's going to get interrupted. And so he's home, and he just gets back from this long itinerant trip, and he gets a phone call. His wife gets a phone call. Now, Gary and his wife were really asking the Lord, like, teach us how, like, we want to see healing, and we want to see deliverance. Like, we want to see people move into freedom, Lord, so help us to grow in that. That's just the season of life they were in. And what happened is that phone call came in, and Gary's wife took it, and Gary said, you can send it to voicemail, I'm, you know, I'm not available. And his wife, you know, put the phone, you know, to her chest and said, this is the Lord, because we've been praying for this, you're going to take this call. So he said, okay, you know, takes the call. And it turns out it was a call from a man who was just uh, in a really dark place, in a really hard place. You know, his name, his name wasn't Jim, but in the book it was, it was Jim to keep him anonymous. And, and, and this, this guy, Jim, uh, lived a life that was really tough. He was, he was part of drug trafficking. He was part of uh, sex trafficking. Uh, he was just trafficked from a young age. He was disconnected from his family and got in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong crowd and began to, 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 to live a life that was about as horrendous as you can imagine. And so Gary takes the call and starts hearing his story, just starts hearing about, you know, what's going on in his life. And Gary has absolutely nothing to offer him. How many of you have been there before? You, you, I just have nothing to offer you on the I have nothing that I can help you with. But, but he, he, he recognizes that God does. And so he says, hey, let's, let's, you know, let's connect, let's meet up. He winds up connecting, uh, connects him to a ministry that was really gifted at helping men out of addiction, helping men out of different um, uh, abusive situations, and really just bringing healing to them. It was really awesome. But it was an hour away, and Jim didn't have a ride. 
So Gary's like, okay, Lord, I guess I gotta, I gotta drive him both ways. So he gets him in the car and he's like, what am I gonna talk to him about? We just have such different backgrounds and I have nothing that I can offer to his situation. And he's in the car and he's like, you know, I'm just gonna tell you the story about God. And, and you know, Jim was like, all right, like, that's, that's fine. Like, you can tell me about God. So he starts telling him the story of God's grace, beginning with Genesis, that God was actually always purposed to give man grace for, for man to experience God's connection with him, his love for him, that God actually, even in the Old Testament, gives opportunity and, 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 and creates a culture of encountering him because he always wanted to dwell with his people. He's not a God who's far away and angry. He wasn't a God that, that was upset with, with Jim. He actually has love for Jim to experience an encounter. He has grace for Jim. They take the hour. They ex- he he kind of shares the story of the Bible. And Jim starts saying, like, I think you're wrong because no one's telling me that. He's like, are you sure you're right? And Gary's like, yeah, I'm sure. So he drops him off. He goes in for his uh, counseling appointment. He gets back in the car. Jim wait, or Gary waits outside. And on the way back, he's like, now I want to tell you about Jesus. And he begins to tell him the New Testament, how Jesus actually answered those questions of the Old Testament, that Jesus actually came as grace and truth so that people could get free from sin, could get free from bond, get freedom, and actually step into wholeness again and have, have a life with God. So Jim's hearing this, and he actually begins to, like, argue with Gary. He goes, if this is true, this is the best kept secret that the church has never told me. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, that's not what I understand. And Gary had to talk to him. He's like, well, listen, when you're disconnected, when you're, when you're actually disconnected from God's presence, you start to believe lies about who he is. So, so, so here we are in this car, and, and Gary, Pastor Gary leads Jim to the Lord. He's like, do you want to say yes to Jesus? Do you want to say, you know what, I want to make Jesus my Savior? If you want to do that, God's right here ready for you. He's, he, he can come into your life right now. But it's going to, you got to be all in. And he's like, sorry, that's just how that one is. You got to be all in. You got to be ready to say yes. And in the car, he, he just said yes. He leads him to Jesus in this car ride. And then, they, and then he begins to, to, to pray together. And he's like, all right. By the time they get to their destination, I got to teach you how to pray. How many of you know, we got to pray. Like, you just got to stay connected to the Lord sometimes. And here's a guy that had no idea. So like, all you have to do is just talk to him like a friend that's in the room. You talk to him like a friend that's in the room. So he's like, let's just practice now. So Jim goes and just starts to, like, put his head down. And Gary just is praying. And Gary's like, I have no, Gary writes in his book, he's like, I have no idea what I was doing. I have no idea how to help him, but we just figured that's a good idea. And he puts his head down to pray and starts helping him. And Jim looks up and gives the worst answer for every pastor. He goes up and goes, nothing's happening. I don't think this is real. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. <laughs> You're like, that's like the worst case scenario response. You're hoping they're like, oh, I just feel God's presence. He's like, this isn't real. Pastor Gary turns to him and says, you know what? You've been away from God for your entire life. Maybe it takes more than five minutes of attempts here. He goes, let's redial. Let's just redial the Lord right now. So he's like, all right. And and he puts his head down and just begins to actually kind of with faith pray and just talk to God. 
And then what happens is something Gary wasn't expecting. He starts shake, rattling, and rolling. He starts vibrating, and he's, he's like, he's trembling, and all this stuff's going on. And Gary is like, this pastor is trying to learn about, like, the presence of the Lord. And he's like, oh, what do, oh no, what do I do? The guy's like, call 911. And Gary's like, I don't think I should do that. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think they're going to be able to help you. And, and so Gary just starts praying for him, prays freedom, just prays freedom from torment, freedom from that stuff that was getting a hold of him for so much of his life. And he winds up getting free, and then he starts to calm down. And in a couple minutes, he just starts to calm down. And Gary said, what was going on? He said, when I started to pray, I felt fire, like, in my legs. I felt this thing going on inside of me. He's like, it actually came up to my knees, up to my waist, up to my chest, up to my throat. He goes, when it, when it came up to my throat, I thought, oh, I could smoke dope again and not, get, not be in pain. This is great. And then it went to his head, and that's when the Lord started to speak to him. And he goes, and the Lord, the Lord asked me, well, well, do I trust him with my life? And that's when he said yes, and everything started to change for Jim. Fast forward today, Jim is like a missionary. He's, he's, he's like a pastor. He's just doing crazy stuff for Jesus. You know, when we're disconnected from God's presence, we just start to believe lies about who he is. Consecration is actually about stepping into who God is because sometimes we just drift off center for a little bit. Sometimes we're, we're way away, and sometimes even as believers, we can drift off center. Are you guys with me? One of my favorite authors uh, is Oswald Chambers. And Oswald Chambers, how many of you read My Upmost First Highest? Okay, so Oswald Chambers, it's, it's a classic devotional. A lot of people like it, and a lot of people don't connect to it because what a lot of people don't know is My Almost First Highest is actually a very kind of poetic book, the way it's written, because Oswald Chambers was actually an artist. So he was actually in art school. And what happened is the Lord called him into the ministry and he struggled with it. The Lord kind of interrupted his moment and he wasn't sure if he could do it or not, but eventually he yielded and, and, and wind up going to a ministry school um, and was very academic, was just a teacher's teacher. He wound up tutoring in this university in London uh, and really gave his life to the Lord to serve the Lord in, a, in, in, in the lane of ministry. So we're all familiar with, with his, uh, his devotion on my utmost for his highest. This is some of the things that came out of his life. Uh, one of his things he said was, Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. Beware of refusing to go to the funeral of your own independence. You know, a consecrated life looks like I need God and I am actually going to be dependent upon him. When we fight going to that funeral, we actually prolong that period of time where we're disconnected from his presence in a manifest way. Now, Oswald Chambers, he brought amazing uh, uh, people into his home and actually started something called the Bible Training College. It's like the most vanilla name for the university ever, but that's what he called it, the Bible Training College. And it was his house in London, and he was part of a prayer group, and it was this very, very huge, ornate house, and he would bring adults in that wanted to grow in the character of God, that wanted to be trained biblically, that wanted to do mission, and mission for him turned into everywhere they go. They just raise up missionaries for the neighborhood, for, for, for communities, for nations, all of those things. So they brought people into their house just a couple at a time, maybe five, six, seven, eight people, and they would live with him and his wife, Biddy. And they would live there full time and come into uh, Oswald's teachings and he would train them in the scriptures, train them in, in ministry. And so when you start kind of getting some momentum, they needed a cook. 
So they brought a cook in to begin to, to, to prepare all the food for them as they go on about. It really turned into kind of like a mini college. And there was, uh, there was like a mess hall, just a really big kitchen that they would eat at. And uh, so anyone working there sort of serving, they got paid, of course. Uh, you know, everyone from housekeepers to cooks were kind of got to be, take part of this kind of training and these, these teachings. So the cook one day, uh, he decided that he was going to start stealing. So the, their cook started to steal pots and pans and silverware and utensils and, and plates and, and, you know, wasn't in the school, like was disconnected from the Lord, didn't know Jesus, and just started to take things because it was, it was a really beautiful home and they had nice things. So over the course of weeks and months, he began to amass a pile of stolen goods. And Oswald and his wife, Biddy, actually would replace them when they were gone. He would actually buy more. Well, one day, months later, the cook came to Oswald and said, something is happening inside of me, and I feel like I have to confess something to you. And Oswald said, what is it? And he said, I've been stealing from you for months. I've stolen all this. I'm really sorry. Something's going on inside of me. I just feel like I'm supposed to say that. And Oswald Chambers responded, I know. I, I knew the first day when you started. I've been watching you steal for months, but I wanted you to know that the Lord is real by him bringing you conviction. And he, this, this, this person just began to break down, recognizing that God was actually intersecting his life through conviction. He wound up giving his life to the Lord and going to the training school. Come on, Jesus. Oswald Chambers, he actually, he would say this thing where, are you happy being fruitful, or do you want to be broken bread and poured out wine for Jesus? Are you happy being fruitful, or do you want to be broken bread and actually poured out wine? For, do, you, do you want your life to look like a living sacrifice? That a lot of Christians, a lot of people want to be fruitful. They love the promises of God. That, that, that we, and, and that's good. We should love the promises of God. That's not, like, that's a good thing. Come on, Jesus. Like, you're called to be fruitful. Did you know that? John 15 is actually like, your, your, your purpose is to be fruitful. But will you be broken bread for the Lord? Will you be a life that he can give away to people around you? Will you be poured out wine for the Lord? Will you take what is fruitful and maybe go through another process. That coffee bean, it was ripe and it was ready and it was fruitful. And then it actually went through a couple other processes. It had to die a little bit more. It actually had to be buried. Am I speaking to anyone in the room right now? Are you guys good? That it actually had to do, go through another process till it could be what it was ultimately purposed to be. I just love when I, when I think about consecration, it has nothing to do with more discipline. It has to do with more presence. You know, it actually says in the Bible that you can incline your heart to the Lord. Wherever you're at, you can actually incline your heart to the Lord in that place and watch him come in his presence. And here's the great part. There's no qualification for it. You, didn't, you don't have to read your Bible ten times and go to church three times this month. And then you're going to feel consecrated to like, you know, say, Lord, I'm yours. It's actually just in the moment. Joshua told the nation they were traveling for years and years. And in a moment, he said, be ready, because tomorrow he's, God's going to do things he's never done before. So consecrate yourselves with, to the Lord. 
go to the Lord for his presence. And in that place, we actually position ourselves spiritually for the breakthroughs that feel like they've taken a long time. 40 years, the breakthrough came the next day. 40 years, the breakthrough came the next day. And then something amazing about Israel, then they began to move in a land where walls fell down. They actually began to move in signs and wonders in a way that they only saw Moses do before. Now they, in the promised land, all get to be part of it. So I'm going to give you three benefits. Are you guys okay? Three benefits to, to, to consecration. One is that it connects you to God's voice. Did you know consecration just reconnects you to God's voice? And every time God speaks, did you know there's life on it? Like every single time Jesus speaks to you, there's life on it. So sometimes we just have to position ourselves to hear what he's saying. Consecration reconnects us to God's voice. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a story. I was, in, in high school, I was a runner. And I was, uh, you know, 135 pounds of nothing, you know. I, I was six foot tall and a beanpole, and I would run all the time. It's just what my life turned into in high school. I became cross country, winter track, spring track. Uh, wind up being captain of the track teams and cross country. And, and my sister and I did it. We just ran year round. We would run through the summer th that was the worst, you know, summertime practices. Anyone ever have summertime practices in high school? Yeah, the worst. And, uh, and then we would run year round and it, it was just something that, that really became like a lifestyle for us. And my coach, Coach Nodecker, was a maniac. So Coach Nodecker was, at the time, he's like 42 years old, and he would run with us, and we're like 16, 17. And we would do like 10-mile runs at like six-minute pace, and, and, and he would be with us. Like, he was a maniac. Like, like I, I can't imagine doing that right now with, with teenagers. And Coach Nodecker, I mean, if you slow down, he would give you this feel of like, hey, if you're thirsty, like legally, I have to tell you as your coach, you should stop and get something to drink, but, you know, be careful. And so, so like... It'd be like the heat of the summer, like this time of year in August, and we're out doing eight to 10 mile runs at like sub 620 pace for a mile, which is pretty fast. And we're going out there, we're doing it, and this day was just super hot, like extremely hot. And we were, we were running by a friend's house that we knew in the middle of this run, and we're like seven miles into it, and we're like, dude, let's just stop and get some water real quick from the hose. You know, like, because we're like way ahead of everybody. Coach Nodecker said we kind of could, although we, let's just not tell him. And, you know, so, so we stop, and we're, like, hosing ourselves down at our friend's house, like, that's on the street we were running on. And Coach Nodecker runs by and just starts yelling at us. Sissies! You know, just making fun of us. You need water! You know? And he's, like, 42, running, like, just as fast as we are. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we got to finish this run in absolute shame. And, and uh, we, 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 we finished the run. Uh, Coach Nodecker would train with us all the time. So he would actually train with us. And so it was kind of a big deal to have your coach literally in your group of five running together. But in that, we got to really know, we got to know Coach Nodecker and he got to know us. Why was it, why, why am I saying that? Because then when it came race time, when it came race time, when we're surrounded by hundreds of people in these big outdoor events, we actually knew his voice in the crowd. Because we spent, he, he spent time with us when we're out there running, we're out there training, we actually had a relationship with him that when you're around hundreds of people and they're lining the sides, if you've never been to like a cross country race or, or a, track, uh, a track event, you know, a meet, 
there's people everywhere and it's really hard to hear anything. Well, we would run by and he would be positioned strategically to tell us what to do. Because we'd be running and when you're running, you don't really know the pace you're going. There's no watch, there's no Apple iPhone, right? And, and, and he would actually tell us, okay, go faster around here. Hey, you're in the lead, keep going. And he would actually speak to us throughout the course. The only reason that we knew what we were doing is because we heard his voice while we were running. It's because we spent time together. When we, when we connect with the Lord, when we consecrate ourselves, it connects us to God's voice. It reconnects us. It also gives us peace in storms. Did you know that? That a consecrated life is actually going to carry peace into storms. How many of you had a storm in your life in the last six months? Congratulations, you're living the Christian life. <laughs> they were actually supposed to be walking into storms. Did you know that? You know, my, my, one of my favorite animals is, um, is like a bison. We, I have pictures of it all over our house. And something really cool about bison is they actually go into the storm when the storm comes. The quickest way through a storm is into it. The quickest way through a storm is actually to meet it head on. So bison in, in packs, when, the, when a storm rolls in on the plains, they actually head towards it. As Christians, we're actually called... Reconnecting with his presence gives you peace to go through your storm. And here's the thing, because you're carrying peace, you get to quiet the storm that you're in. Does that make sense? That when the Prince of Peace is the one you're consecrating to, guess what that overflow looks like in your life? Is you get to carry peace into those storms. And the third thing is we get to co-labor with Jesus. We get to do what he's doing. That when, we, when we're consecrating our lives to the Lord, we're actually positioning ourselves to do what he's doing. And I don't know about you, Jesus makes me nervous every time he does something. Like every time that he wants me to co-labor with him, it's always nerve-wracking. It's always like, all right, Lord, you want me to give what? You want me to give how much money? Lord, what? I got to run that by Rachel, you know. <laughs> Lord, Lord, you know, you want me to go and talk to that person? You know, sometimes that thing looks like just you connecting with Jesus to work with him. It can look like making that phone call to someone that's been on your mind in and out for the last couple of days. Did you know that? You don't, have to, you don't have to wait till your schedules line up to have like a perfect brunch somewhere. You actually just need to resp reply, respond to that prompting of the Lord. That we get to co-labor with Jesus when we actually begin to connect with him, when we, when we, when we position our lives to be consecrated. There's a story, I'm going to close with this is uh, Bill Johnson, pastor out of Bethel Church, Redding, California, um, just, you know, the best, amazing author. Uh, he wrote a book about revivalists, about those that have changed the world in their lives, and it always looked different. Do you know, being consecrated means being set apart to run your race, but you might look different than the crowd. Every leader who impacted the world actually looked a little bit different than the crowd. And so he wrote this book, uh, and, and, and in this book, he kind of does mini biographies about, about leaders. And Catherine Coleman was uh, one of my favorites. And Catherine Coleman, for those of you who don't know, kind of church history was just a, a super, super um, anointed, unique kind of leader that God did something so unique through that it kind of is hard to explain. And, um, and this, is, this is Bill Johnson's take on her. So she saw lots of conversions and healings and lots of people come to Jesus and a lot of restoration and uh, refreshment coming to, to people's hearts by going to these big meetings she was a part of. And when the Lord called her to do it, the Lord told her, I actually asked other people, but they all said, no, will you do this? And Catherine Coleman said, yeah, I'll do that. 
This is what Bill Johnson said about her. He said, without being disrespectful, I'd like to tell you what she wasn't. She wasn't a great Bible teacher or a great preacher, although she could do both. She didn't have a natural beauty that seems to exalt others to a place of favor with man ahead of their appointed time. She wasn't a great singer, moving crowds with an amazing voice, and the list goes on. What, she could do, what, what could she do? She seemed to be the person that God liked to be with. She is known for the presence. The miracles that came from that one thing, the presence. The mass conversions came from that one thing. Those high places of worship that were experienced in her meetings came from that one thing. She was a presence woman. If I ever saw a person who knew their absolute need for dependence on God, it was Catherine Coleman. I'm going to invite Rachel to come up right now. I just want to encourage you, you know, that place of dependence actually can begin to look like you stepping in to more than what you think. That place of consecration, of laying something down. You know, we actually, we actually uh, one of the, the, the worship songs today had an amazing line in it. It said, everything on the altar now, I won't hold back, I won't hold out. We were praying this week, and Rachel kind of got a mini message, but she has a word that, that I asked her to come up here and share. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so the Lord was just, um, throughout the week when I was praying, I felt like the Lord was highlighting stories in the Bible of consecrated hearts, of, of men and women running their race, and God moved mightily. But, like, how many of you guys know when God moves mightily, sometimes it costs something? And so what he was showing me was, like, um, one of the stories was Elijah, um, when he was battling the prophets of Baal on, um, you know, uh, Mount Carmel. And, and they were on this battle of, like, who's God's going to call down fire and, and, and consume the, alt, uh, the offering? And, like, the prophets of Baal were praying and nothing happened. And they, kept, they prayed, like, all day. And Elijah actually doused the altar with water and then prayed and the fire came. So there was major breakthrough. It showed that God was the true living God. But what happened after that? He actually had to go run and hide in a cave because he was being persecuted. He was being sought after. And he was trying to be killed by Jezebel. And another story the Lord highlighted was um, Paul in the New Testament and how before he was Paul, he was Saul. But the breakthrough came. Jesus presented himself to him. He became Paul and then went out preaching the gospel, one of the greatest evangelists, and wrote most of the New Testament. But he wrote it from prison. And I could keep going on and on that there was like Hannah in the Old Testament, Peter in the New Testament, Joshua, Moses. God was showing me that lots of breakthrough was happening, but it was at a cost. That breakthrough may cost you something. And so um, I, I just want to encourage you, though. There's encouragement here. <laughs> um, in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1, I don't know if we have that. It says, therefore, oh. Okay, we'll go through the whole thing. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Keep going to the next one. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus... Jesus, we know, is the greatest breakthrough we've ever experienced. But it cost him something. It cost him his life for our breakthrough. So what was the joy set before him? Jesus fixed his eyes on the joy set before him before 
he endured the cross. So the joy set before him was this. He, he fulfilled every good and perfect thing, right? He opened the gates to heaven. He broke off bondage. He broke off sickness and death, and he got to sit at the right hand of God. That was the joy set before him. And so he didn't run from the cross. He went to the cross so that we could experience the breakthrough. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you feel like there is a cost to be paid, you know, a consecrated heart. We talked about consecrated heart today. And I just want to encourage you, sometimes breakthrough has a cost. But a consecrated heart counts the cost and says you're worth it. The consecrated heart says it's worth it. And so when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we fix our eyes on the joy set before us, which, it, which is our breakthrough, then we go forward and endure that cross and that cost. And so I want to encourage you guys today, maybe it's not going to prison, and maybe it's not running for your life like, you know, Elijah did. But sometimes the cost looks like taking a little more time at the grocery store and praying for someone. That, that costs you something. Maybe you're in a hurry. Maybe it's, um, you know, you wanna, you're praying for breakthrough, you're praying for breakthrough, revival in the city. Maybe it starts in your neighborhood and you having your neighbors over. That's the kind of cost I'm talking about. Maybe it's, um, you know, you want to see revival break out and, and a breakthrough happen in the next generation to come. Maybe it starts with you volunteering in Kid Nation. You know, this come is not on, a plug. I'm on, just Jesus. saying it costs you something. And I want to encourage you that breakthrough yeah. is coming for you, but it may cost you That's something. Yeah. You know, I also want to encourage you, maybe you want to see a breakthrough in your finances, but God's like, actually, I want you to give first. You know, give to a cause. Maybe it's uh, blessing your waiter or waitress with even more than you intended. Um, one of the biggest things that's been on my heart is we've been praying and praying and praying and praying for abortion to be abolished. And this is just like a nation thing. And finally, the federal government cannot say an abortion is legal, right? That was a hallelujah moment. But that was the breakthrough. Now the cost is we're going to have a lot of babies that need to be adopted. Come on. That's right. You know what I'm saying? we got to rise up. We have to be willing to pay the cost. And so a consecrated heart is one that counts the cost. It says it's worth it. So I just want to encourage you guys today. If there's like an area in your life you're praying for breakthrough, maybe you're actually experiencing the cost right now and you're like, this is more than I expected. (laughs) This is harder than I expected. I want to encourage you the breakthrough is worth it. The breakthrough is worth it. His victory is worth it. It's worth it to see a nation saved, but you saying yes to something that's a cost to you. It's worth it. Look at all the breakthroughs in the Bible. We're reading about them now. It led to nations being saved. It led to our salvation thousands of years later. So the cost is worth it. And so when I was praying about this, I was like, Jesus, like, what can we do to partner with that? And and I just really felt like he said, like, every heart actually has to to say yes to the cost. Every heart has to be aware that there is a cost. It might be, like I said, more time. It might be your resources. It might be adopting a baby. Young and old alike may adopt a baby. It might be, you know, um, hosting your neighbors over or cooking dessert for them or something, getting to know them. But he's like, I need each heart to recognize that they are saying yes to the cost. I said yes to the cost, are they saying yes to the cost? And so if you want to say yes to that, if you want to say yes, like, I definitely want breakthrough, but I am willing to consecrate my heart. I'm willing to pay that cost. I just want you to stand.
And sometimes that thing is just waiting, right? You've been in a season of waiting, and sometimes that is what feels costly, right. is your season of waiting. Great. I want you to close your eyes. This is just a partnership with the Lord right now. It's almost re-consecrating your heart again to him and saying yes to him again. That Jesus, you're worth the cost. Maybe he's asking your family to move to a harder neighborhood in Columbus to be the missionary there. Maybe he is asking you to volunteer somewhere. Maybe he's asking you to give your time or your money to something. Yeah, I feel like there's even there's some people here that you have been pondering uh, getting being part of a training. Could be a school environment or a training, and God actually has that for you. But it feels like it's going to cost you your time. It feels like it's going to cost you your money. But God actually is going to come and fill those places. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's um, it's stepping out of your comfort zone at the gas station and praying for someone. Maybe it's meeting a family member who needs Jesus, and they're a really hard family member, but the cost is you spend time with them and love on them still. So right now, I just want you and the Lord to just connect on that, because you're standing and saying, I'm, I, I'm willing to pay the cost. Whatever it takes, Jesus, you're worth it. And I actually want us to declare these things together, because this is the partnership. This is the partnership of saying, yep, I, I counted the cost, and now I'm partnering with you, Jesus. So I want you to declare this. I persevere. I persevere. And I run my, way, my race well. And I run my race well. I have counted the cost. I have counted the cost. And you are worth it. And you are worth it. My eyes are set on Jesus. My eyes are set on Jesus. And the joy set before me. And the joy set before me. I consecrate my heart. I consecrate my heart. To you, Lord. To you, Lord. For the breakthrough. For the breakthrough. That rests with you alone. That rests with you alone. So, Jesus, we just thank you for the breakthrough. We thank you, Jesus, that you counted the cost and you said we were worth it. So, Jesus, we rededicate our hearts to you. Jesus, whatever you ask, we say yes. Jesus, we count that cost and we thank you that the breakthrough is for us. I just release right now those that just have that tension, Lord, to just release peace over them right now. God, I thank you that you've released a supernatural peace over our minds, our hearts, and our spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that the fire that rises up in our bellies is coming alive again with just that um, victorious mindset of wanting to see your kingdom come. So, Jesus, release your kingdom. Release your kingdom. We partner with you, Jesus. We consecrate our hearts to you. We want to hear your voice and know your voice. We want to hear your voice in the crowd. Thank you, Jesus, for the peace that you release over us. Yeah, and if you've been in a season of waiting, it could be for so many different things. Just put your hand in the air just real high for a moment. Just You've been in a season of waiting. Whoa. So I just feel like the Lord has just a word for you, and that is this, is that it's going to be worth it. He's, he's going to make the season worth it. 
So we just release that right now. For those, just keep your hand in the air. It could be for anything. For those who are around them right now, just stretch out your hands towards them. Or if you feel like you know, laying a hand on their shoulder, I just want to come into agreement right now that God is better than you think, that your season of waiting is going to be more fruitful than you ever dreamed, and it's going to, that, that it's going to be a, a, a testimony that you're going to be carrying, that there is fruit that, that can only come from waiting, and you are fruitful that you are fruitful right now in the waiting, and God is gonna turn something that you've never seen coming. It is gonna be better than you think because he's better than you think. He's better than we think, that he's a good God in a good mood, and he loves what he's doing in your life. So we just bless you in your season of waiting. We bless you to be filled with the Lord. We bless you to, to ponder into those places of his presence, and we just release right now the interruptions of heaven over your life. Just those interruptions of heaven, those dreams, those signs, those flares from heaven that are just going to rain down in those situations and circumstances. And there's even loved ones that are going to be impacted by your waiting season will impact those around you. So, Lord, I just thank you right now that every moment of waiting is worth it, Lord. We just thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite Pastor Jim to come up and close us out today. Well, thank There you are. Look at that. Thank you, O'Rourke's. Come on, that was so good. All right, I'm getting joined up here. This is good. You got something, babe? Yeah. I just wanted to kind of add to that. Um, the Lord's been speaking to me about acceleration. And um, I really feel like this is a season of acceleration. And just, you know, tagging on to what these guys just said, I feel like, um, I don't feel like I know, especially for those of you who raised your hands where you've been waiting for a long time, the more you serve, the more accelerated your path is going to be. The more you lay your life down for somebody else's vision, <laughs> the more accelerated your life is going to be and your vision is going to be. And so that's what I just wanted to bless you with. All right. Thanks, babe. Hey, as we're closing out, we are going to uh, take up an offering for our Normandy project. So we've been talking about this a couple weeks. And so if you are new here, let me just kind of just catch you up on it. Normandy project is uh, it's a building that we bought to rescue girls coming out of human trafficking. And so we are, uh, we're putting the finishing touches on it. We've already raised $1.5 million. And so uh, it's an old building. It's a big building. It's going to be awesome. We need $335,000 more. And so we've uh, so kind of to complete this last phase. And so we're uh, looking for pledges today. We're looking for an offering just so we know what's coming in. Because if we don't get enough coming in, they're going to have to re-up the, uh, you know, all the, you'll have to delay it. They're going to have to get the new permits and all that good stuff. So we are really hoping to kind of, uh, finish up this next project here. And so if you uh, came ready to give today, you can give in this offering. If uh, if you prayed and you have an amount, but you're not ready to start giving it, like, hey, October 1st, a couple ways you can do that. There's uh, envelopes that are marked Normandy. They're the big, long, red envelopes. I should have brought one up here. And uh, you could uh, you, you can you know put your put your pledge on there, or you can just go to our app, the Zion app, which has been radically updated. Thank you, Sean, for making all those improvements on there. And so you can click on the little uh, give thing at the bottom there, and uh, you'll see the Normandy project in the scroll down, and you can put October 1st. You can begin giving. And so the best way for us to give is either like check or, um, or uh, like an ACH transfer because, you know, there's credit card fees. And so, you know, you figure on $100,000, 3.5%, that's $3,500. That's real money. And so give however you can. If you want to get the points, do the points and all that. I'm just saying the way that the girls can get the most money would be for us uh, to have either check or ACH. And so, again, we just want to thank you guys for praying about this and just seeking an amount for the Lord. And, um, and everyone who's already given, we're so thankful. And just to remind you, 
you know, 100% of this money has gone towards the project. There's been nothing taken out for administration. It's all been a labor of love, and it will continue to be a labor of love. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so thankful for that. So for ushers and usherettes, I don't know if we have usherettes today, but uh, oh, we do. We do have usherettes. I'm not even sure if that's a word. But um, we just want to thank you guys for praying and seeking this. And so, you know, this isn't just about a building. It's, I, th- I said this last week. It's not about bricks and mortars. You know, it's, it's about changed lives. You know, and so each one of these, uh, each one of these rooms that the girls are going to be staying in is going to uh, represent changed lives. And I really believe what Isaiah 61 says. It says, those who have been set free, the captives have been set free. It says, they become the rebuilders of the city. I believe this is uh, one of the things that's going to uh, spark and uh, sustain revival in our city is just more goodness. And so, uh, so thank you guys for giving. So it looks like the buckets are already going around. And so, um, yeah, excited about that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. If you've got more questions on that, you can write a check to uh, the Normandy Project. You can just put it, a check towards that. Or um, is it the normandyproject.org? The normandyproject.org. We've got videos and all that. So if you're watching online, you can give, uh, you can give on the normandyproject.org or on our Zion app, also known as the Zap. But actually, no one calls it that but me. Yeah. Oh, there, oh there, okay, oh, there's a QR code. All right, there's a QR code. It'll take you right to the page and all that good stuff. So, But wouldn't it be nice to have this project done yeah. and start going there? And I know there's a lot of people in, the, in here that you've got a ministry that's going to take you to end up serving those girls and uh, seeing them restored. And so, you know, the, it, it, we're, we're, we're going after is the kind of the missing link. There's, there's programs that help the girls get off the streets, but once they're off the streets and clean and sober, they still have PTSD. They don't have any job skills. They don't have the right kind of... In, environment to go back to and so this is really looking to fulfill that so uh that, that missing piece there so all right, i won't do the whole normandy thing again but uh so excited about this all right if you guys could stand for closing prayer here as we're, st- uh, as we're closing i thought sean and rachel did such a great job of just presenting uh the goodness of god and a life consecrated to him and i just want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here and you're like jim i i don't have that relationship with god i've never trusted him i've never said yes to him completely and uh, if you're here today, we would just like to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. You're like, what does that mean? It means you are trusting him. You're putting your confidence in him. You're saying, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. And so it's not just believing facts about him. How many guys know the demons believe in Jesus? It's not changing their lives. It's not enough to believe facts. It's about trusting him with your life. And if you're here, like, I want, that. I want to take that step. I want to walk into a relationship with Jesus. I just ask you to do something bold. I'm just going to raise your hand, and we're going to pray with you. And I agree with you on that and help you walk that out. Is there anyone in here? You're like, Jim, I don't, I don't have that. I, I, I want that relationship with Jesus. Anybody in here? All right. Well, if you're online, um, respond to us, and we'll I'll reach back out to you. But Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that we got a room full of believers who are ready to change the world. And Lord, I just thank you that consecration is a good word. Lord, it means more of you in our lives. And so, Lord, we look forward to that. And so, Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. Lord, I thank you that this is a terrorist training camp to destroy the works of the devil. Lord, I thank you that this week they are going to give people heaven wherever they go. And that they're going to represent you uh, more accurately in word and deed. Lord, I thank you that power is becoming normal in the church. So I bless your people.